0: Well, good morning, my name's uh, Jordan. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We started this chapter last week, verses 1 through 12, talking about diversity of gifts. And I'll tell you, if you're a college student that was at the conference or if you were gone last week, I'd encourage you actually to go back and listen to that uh, on our website or Vimeo or wherever. Uh, what Paul did last week is he, he set a foundation for everything we're going to be talking about over the next handful of weeks. Specifically chapters 12 through 14, as we talk a lot about spiritual gifts. And what Paul said last week was essentially we've all been, as believers, all been given different spiritual gifts. And our call is not to hold those or hoard those to ourselves, but actually use those to be a blessing to others, specifically uh, the body of Christ, the church. But now the question becomes, are all gifts equally valuable? Are some better than others? Like, is, are my gifts better or worse than this person's gifts over here? And if so, what are the implications of that? How do I think through that? That's what Paul's going to address here. So I'm gonna, we're just going to methodically work through the rest of chapter 12. And I'm just going to start off by reading the first couple of verses here. This is what Paul says. He says, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one Body, Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. So again, Paul is making it very clear that, that there's one God, one spirit, and, and there's one body, one church. And the people within that church are given different spiritual gifts. And the illustration he's going to use throughout this passage is the human body. He's going to say the human body has different parts, but it, it, but it functions together as one overall unit. So, he's gonna start his argument here, and he's gonna, before he actually gets into the different parts and how that works, he's actually gonna start by talking about how we got into the body. Look at the language here. All are baptized by one spirit, all are given one spirit to drink. And you might hear that and go, Is he talking about baptism? And is he talking about communion? Are, are these, is he talking about the ordinances here of the church? And although we should obey Jesus through baptism and remember him through communion, that's actually not what's in view here. Paul is zooming out even further. And he's showing us the good news of our salvation. You see, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, the language the Bible uses is that we are baptized by the Spirit. We are washed clean of our sin as we ask for forgiveness from our Lord and Savior, baptized by the Spirit. Now, what people are going to do today is, is this water baptism is an outward symbol of an inward reality. They've been baptized by the Holy Spirit already, but now they're going to get baptized publicly, physically, to demonstrate what Christ has done in their life. But Paul here is emphasizing how we've been brought into the body. And I, I really actually want to just pause here and say, for some of you, you know, as believers, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, and we'll talk about some action steps this morning. For others of you, um, your action steps are actually very different, because you're not yet in the body of Christ. You have yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So your your action step this morning actually isn't figure out how to use your spiritual gifts. Your action step this morning is surrender your life to Christ. Put your faith and trust in him. Be done chasing the things of this world. Acknowledge him as king of your life. Ask him to wash him of your sins. Wash you white as snow as you admit your sin and ask for forgiveness. Commit your allegiance to the Savior who went in your place on the cross and rose victoriously from the grave. And once you do that, you are brought into a body, the body of Christ, the church. And what Paul is going to do throughout the rest of this passage is he's going to talk about the different parts of the body, but he's also going to address here also the reality that people coming into the body are coming from different backgrounds. People with different race, with different religious backgrounds, are being grafted into one body. Look at some of the language here. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves... Or free. That would have been a mind-blowing statement for the Corinthians because Jews and Greeks were enemies to the outside world. Slaves and free, that's those people are way different. But what Paul is saying is what the world sees as enemy, as enemies, you no longer see as enemies. You now see as part of the same team. So my dad was um, born in Chicago, and um, therefore all of my professional sports allegiances fall with all the Chicago teams. Bears, Bulls, Cubs—I'm um, all of them. And um, if you follow the NFL right now, you know that my Chicago Bears—it's a big deal right now because we have the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, first time since 1947. I might be tracking this a little too closely. <laughs> like every time I have five to ten minutes, I'm on YouTube going, "What are they going to do with this pick?" And it, and I'm excited. I'm excited about the NFL draft that's coming up. But I'm actually—I actually usually just love the NFL draft, even when the Bears are mediocre and halfway down the list. Like. I just love it. And one of the reasons I think I love it is because enemies become friends. Rivals on the college football field become a part of the same team. You see, once you're drafted, it changes everything. Uh, one of the big headlines in the, the NFL this past year was a guy named Brock Purdy. If you know that story. Yeah, actually, by the way, Salt Company student from, from Ames, from Ames, Iowa. And Brock Purdy was drafted last in the NFL draft, they call that, I don't know if you know this, they call that person Mr. Irrelevant. They like give him a jersey that says Mr. Irrelevant. Last pick in the draft, but the quarterbacks in front of him get hurt. He starts playing for the Niners and does an incredible job. But you got to understand, one of the other people on his team is number 85, George Kittle. And Brock Purdy played at Iowa State University. George Kittle played at University of Iowa. And Hawk Cyclones, we don't like one another. I mean, that's my home state. It's, it's like Seminoles, Gators. It's not a good thing. But, but look at them at this picture. is this wild? Two guys that were once enemies are now celebrating with one another. I'm sure he just threw a touchdown or something. They are all a part of the same team, and they have the same goal. What's the goal? Win the Super Bowl. That's all that matters. Actually, if you hear them talk, they're apparently like really good friends off the field. You, you see, people coming into the draft might have different um, backgrounds, ethnicities, race, socioeconomic backgrounds, but it, all that doesn't matter anymore. All of a sudden, when you get drafted... As a 49er, Chicago Bear, Jacksonville Jaguar, that's all of a sudden now your primary identity. And what Paul is saying is here is, I don't care if you're Jew or Greek, slave or free, the most important thing that defines you now is that you are a part of the body of Christ. We we talked about um, the conference. I was at the conference, really fun. It was really fun to watch. There was one bleacher section full of Florida Gators, as you saw. There was another bleacher section full of Florida State Seminole students. And, you know, you got on one bleacher, you got the gator chomp. And then on the other section, the, it's the tomahawk Chop, right? Whatever they do. It's not as good as the chomp. It's not as cool. Um, yeah. I love our friends in um, Florida State. But, but guys, think about that. That's probably, probably the only place on planet Earth where gators and seminoles are coming underneath the same building, not to destroy one another, but to, but to like actually come together united under the banner of Christ. That is wild to me. They're, like, they're recognizing we are all a part of the universal church. We are in this together, and we are all worshiping Jesus Christ. Christians are all part of the same body. We are all given one spirit. Now, let me address this. Does our race, our socioeconomic background, our upbringing, our gender, does that impact us? Does that have implications on our life? Absolutely. And I would say don't lose the beauty of diversity that God has given us on this earth and through his people. But what I am saying is that if you are in Christ, those things no longer ultimately define you. They are not your primary identity. You, your primary identity now is you are a part of the body of Christ. Everything else falls underneath that. Your primary identity is not Republican or Democrat, black, white, or Asian. It's not rich or poor. Your primary identity is child of God servant of the king, washed clean, loved beyond measure, secured eternally. The banner we wave is not I'm with this group or I'm with that group. The banner we wave is stained with the blood of Christ. That is our banner. Everything else falls underneath his mercy and grace. We have been brought in as enemies maybe to the world. We've been brought into a family we never deserve to be a part of, but Jesus did it for us. He brought us into his family. And now we are part of the body of Christ. So the question now becomes, how does this body work together? How do these different parts of the body all come together? Let's keep going through our passage here. So we stopped at 12. Let's pick up at 13. Paul says this. Uh, Sorry, we stopped at 13. Let's go 14. Indeed, the body is not one part but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason, any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Okay, so you might read that and you go, hold on, what? It's actually pretty simple and pretty clear. Um, the body needs to be diverse, the different parts of it need to be diverse for it to flourish together as one unit. I think the logic actually is pretty simple. You go to verse 17, If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? One body, many parts, but each plays a particular role that has a unified purpose. It doesn't make logical sense for every part of the body to be an eye or every part to be a foot. You need the diversity, but you also need those parts to work together. I remember when I was seven years old, um, this is a vivid mem- memory for me, we were in Boston. A guy by the name of Barry, good family friends of ours, he was a pastor in Kentucky, took our family to Boston to see the concrete ju- jungle in the big city. And I remember we were stopped, my family with them, and stopped at a stoplight waiting for the stoplight to turn green for us. And, uh, and it did, you know, green light and the little walking person and we start walking, and my brother's the first one to walk into the street. And it all happened so fast, but apparently, well, one, apparently people in Boston are crazy drivers. But this, this, this car, like, shot into the outside lane and, and started to rip through the red light. And, and he wasn't stopping for anything. And my brother was walking right into the car's path. And Barry just, like, watched it all unfold so quickly, saw Sean and, like, reached out, grabbed him, pulled him back in. Probably saved my brother's life. If not, I mean if you want, I mean, minimally horrible injuries. Barry reached out, Seg, my brother. I I think some of you guys know this. I actually have a background in physical therapy. <laughs> so I look back at that moment through a very different lens right now. I, I think of the way that Barry's body had to work together to make that happen. First of all, Barry's eye had to, to see the car coming on. And then well, he should have activated his deep core muscles. That should have been his first step as a physical therapist. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Um, so hopefully he did that. I'll ask Barry later. Um, but, so, but activate core, he fire, he's got higher, fires hip flexors, right? Like glutes, quads, hamstrings, they all got to fire. The calf has to push off. The plant leg, the toes have to stabilize that plant leg. Deltoids have to fire. You got to reach out, grab with your hands. And Barry had to pull back in with his biceps to save my brother. And I just want to ask you, in that moment, of all of those body parts, which one was the most important to save my brother's life? He needed all of them. He needed every single part, not only to work, but work together as one unit to save my brother. If he didn't have eyes, he couldn't have seen the car coming. If he didn't have legs, he couldn't have reached, like lunged out or arms, he couldn't have reached and pulled back in. Barry's body parts were mutually dependent on one another, different parts of. Barry's body working together for a unified purpose. That's key. Unified purpose to save my brother's life. Guys, we see this in the body. We see this in all other areas of our world today, right? Like business, you got to have different parts and different roles. Politics, you got to have the different parts. Sports, if everyone was a QB like Brock Purdy, not helpful on the football. That would be a bad football team, right? So, so we see the value and power of using different parts and different gifts for the same goal, like in the world around us. And I think what Paul is just saying here is that needs to be happening within the church, probably more so than anywhere else. In the church, you have people with different gifts, and our call is to use those different gifts for the same purpose, purpose of edifying, helping, and encouraging one another together. I'm going to give you my big idea for this morning now, and uh, it's pretty simple. It's this, one body, many valued parts, same purpose. There's one body, the body of Christ. There are many valued parts within it, and they all need to work together for the same purpose because there's so many gifts in the church. Hospitality, mercy, generosity, service, teaching, worship. And as we use those gifts to build one another up, it makes Jesus look beautiful. And and you have to understand, this is what Paul is trying to communicate to the Corinthian church. So let's go to their town for a little bit. You have to understand the undercurrent of what was happening in the Corinthian church, was a lot of dysfunction and a lot of division. And and what was happening here was there was people that were apparently elevating certain gifts as more important than others. They highly valued, specifically it seemed to be, highly valued the spectacular or kind of the showy gifts, specifically speaking in tongues. That's what they talk about a lot in chapters 12 through 14. And if, if you've been tracking with us throughout this whole book of the Corinthians, like 1 Corinthians, there's been divisions everywhere. And this is now just another example. People kind of separating themselves. Well, I'm more important than you because I have this gift and you don't. So that's the backdrop of, backdrop of what Paul is writing into. And I think he's answering some really important questions for the Corinthians. He goes, yes, there's spiritual gifts, but they're asking, but are some more important than others? If I have this gift or that gift, does that make me a better Christian? And Paul's going to answer those questions. We'll, we'll read that here in a second. But I think as, he, as he's doing that, I think he has two groups of people in mind. He's got the, the group of people who think, I actually have the superior gifts, and I don't need anyone else. <laughs> like, I, I think I got it with all the gifts I have, or at least these special gifts. That might be one group, and then another group that goes, I feel like I was given the inferior gifts, the gifts that aren't as helpful, as useful, or as visible. Like, if I left the church tomorrow, I don't think the church would actually feel or notice it. I think Paul was fighting against both pride and also maybe a level of like gift envy or discontentment. So that's the backdrop. Now let's go back into our text verse 21. Paul continues kind of his flow of thought here and says this, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weak are indispensable and those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. So, Paul said this last week, but um, what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's not throwing out spiritual gifts. He's not eliminating them, but he's correcting their views of the gifts. Same thing's happening here. You see, the the Corinthian church apparently thought that there were gifts that were dispensable. Like, they could go without the people with those gifts. And Paul's going, very emphatically, you're wrong. (laughs) In fact, the ones that you think are inferior are actually indispensable. He's wanting the Corinthians to see that the seemingly weak gifts that they would call it, that maybe aren't as visible or whatever, it's actually very necessary for the body to flourish. I told you my dad was from Chicago. Uh, Another thing that's true of my dad is he's a doctor. He's a family physician. So I gave him a call, and I told him, I said, hey, I'm teaching this passage all about the body. So, So talk to me. What are the parts of the body that maybe aren't visible, we don't think about, that are inconspicuous. Uh, what are some of those, but, but, like, are crucial for us to flourish? And he goes, okay, uh, how about the spleen and gallbladder? He goes, yeah, you could live without your spleen and gallbladder, but he goes, they're pretty important for you to flourish. Actually, just ask somebody who has, who's had their spleen or gallbladder removed. They'll let you know how important those two organs are, right? Like, you, you notice when those are not there. He goes, but go deeper. Go go to the liver, Kind of this silent organ that we just never think about, unless you're like a med student at Florida or something. Like, you're just not thinking about livers every day, right? But, but ultimately, if we had, if, if someone came in and took our liver out and, and then closed us back up, which would be weird, but if they did that, we would, we would die. We can't live without our liver. That's probably why the word live is in liver. I just, I just realized that. All right, um, so liver. My dad goes, what about um, colon, like your, your GI tract? Guys, the complexity of our gastrointestinal tract is uh, incredible. It is wild. Our large intestine is, is six feet long, and it does more than you'll ever realize. It, it holds and keeps in different nutrients, but, but like, like, gets rid of the rest. This, this waste system we have is just, it's complex. It is wild, and I guarantee you don't have that. It's, you're, in big, you're in big trouble. It's indispensable, but it's all happening behind the scenes. Let me give you one more. He goes, how about this one, Jordan? Um, and I'll ask you guys this, do you know what the largest organ in the body is? Wow, we do have med students here, all right. Or you just, you guys are just smart. Um, it is the skin. And you go, but yeah, we can see that one, Jordan. And I, so, and I would say and I argue, yeah, but how much do you think about your skin? I mean, you don't think about your skin unless you have a cut or laceration or, some, or it's like infected. You're just not thinking about your skin all the time. But your skin is doing so much. Our skin's incredible, guys. It, it protects us. It thermoregulates us. You guys are apparently smart. You know what that means, right? Like, it, like it, it helps us, like, regulate heat and temperature in our body. Um, it, it heals. Like, you should get a cut, and, it, like, just over time, like, Wolverine just, it just heals itself. It's wild. Our skin, like, okay, I can go on and on. You guys get the point. but There's so many parts we don't think about or we don't see, but those parts are vital to us living and flourishing in life. The same is true of the body of Christ. Some gifts might seem inconspicuous or indispensable. They are essential, I'm telling you guys, for the body of Christ to survive. Some gifts are more visible, sure, Uh, you know, but there's also a lot of gifts that are happening behind the scenes. Both are valued and important. Are teaching, what I'm doing, and leading worship, what the band will do here soon, are those important? Sure. You know what's equally as important? that group of people that I walked by this morning that were sitting in the lounge area praying for these services. I don't even know if I'd want to come up here without them praying for this service. You know what also is equally valuable? It's the tech team in the back that makes everything up front happen. We probably don't think about, right? Or even just go one step beyond that wall. The Salt Kids Volunteers that are serving so that we could be in here and loving your children to Jesus. There are so many like behind-the-scenes gifts that are happening. And I'm telling you guys, the moment that the people with behind-the-scenes giftings feel like they are not needed in this church is the moment we've lost. And the moment that people with kind of upfront visible giftings think that, we, like, we don't, but we don't need those other gifts. The moment that happens, we've lost. Jake Each, one of our, the pastors in our network, said this. Don't treat anyone like they're not important, and don't treat anyone like they're too important. Everyone has a part to play. Paul's saying don't devalue those behind-the-scenes gifts. Actually, do the opposite. Do you see what he says in the text? He says show them greater honor. These gifts wildly important. Treat them with respect. I want to tell you guys about a couple people in my life. The first is Joanne Colson. This is Colson. Um, you know, She didn't get up on stage in my small town Iowa Baptist church and give 35 minute monologue sermons like I'm doing right now, but she taught our um, Sunday school class. And she was awesome. She loved uh, the kids in her class so well. Um, My mom said that like when kids had birthdays, she would take them out for a special like date or treat or something like that to love on them. She prayed for all of her kids, like had pictures of all of her kids and just prayed for them specifically. I found this out later in life. Apparently way past me graduating from high school, Joanne was still praying for me, still praying for me. It blew me away. It makes me wonder how much of what the Lord has done in my life is just running off the coattails of Joanne Coulson's prayers. (laughs) My mom said when they first came to the church, it was Joanne Coulson that welcomed them and made them feel so valuable and loved. She said that she had, my mom said she had so much wisdom, and she was such a great listener. You see, Joanne might not have had the most visible gifts, but she used the gifts that the Lord had given her in powerful ways to edify the church. Let's show in. And let me tell you about Mark, Mark Pingle, He is, Mark's the uh, custodian at the last church I was at. He's still there. And I'm telling you guys, you want to talk about someone who serves faithfully and never complains, it's Mark. Actually, as you would walk through the halls, you would just hear him singing hymns. And you would have thought, Wow, you're just, you're like, it's like you're on the front of the stage. You're just singing, you're going for it. But he is just so full of joy serving the church in the ways the Lord has given him. But it was also really cool to fun, really fun to watch him. Um, there was a guy that needed community service hours. And they reached out to our church, and Mark said, I'll take him. And he took this man under his, underneath his wing, loved him, mentored him, cared for him. I actually, one time, was just walking by in the foyer, and he was off in the corner of the couch, just the two of them, and I overheard Mark sharing the gospel with him. Just gently, carefully helping this guy come to know Jesus Christ. I'd argue that Mark has some incredible spiritual gifts, even though they might not have been seen on a Sunday morning. Because I never saw either one of those two complain about their gifts. They identified the gifts that God had given them and used used those greatly for his glory. (laughs) And here's the deal. Here's here's what I think actually might be true. Um, When I get to heaven... I'm actually not entirely sure that I'll see Joanne and Mark. I'm not sure if I'll see him. Guys, <laughs> I think Joanne and Mark will be so close to the throne of Christ. I'm not sure if I'll be able to see him. You have to understand that Jesus sees what no one sees, he is honored when people use their gifts, energy, to build up the church. It doesn't matter if they're visible or celebrated or not. Jesus knows, and it delights them. So ask yourself, and kind of like, look in the mirror. What are the gifts that God has given me? What would other people say or affirm? We did this last week in Connection Group. Like, here's what I think my gifts are. Would you guys affirm that? Speak that back into my life. And then once you identify them, how can I use this to love others and build up the church? identify the gifts the Lord has given you, and then your call is to have a heart of gratitude and then willingness to use those gifts to build up the church. And here's the deal. It doesn't matter. Remember our big idea, one body, many valued parts, same purpose. It doesn't matter what part you have to play. It's the same purpose. Same purpose. You know, in 1962, JFK was visiting the NASA Space Center. And during his visit, he noticed a janitor carrying a broom. And he walked over to to him and said, Hi, I'm Jack Kennedy. What are you doing? And the janitor responded, Well, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. In one sentence, that man connected the part he played with the main purpose of every NASA employee. So what is the purpose of our gifts within the church Let's keep reading, verse 24, back to our text. And said, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. What's the purpose? Actually, we need to zoom out a little bit, go back to our text last week, because that, that's going to give us a hint for this answer. Verse 7 of chapter 12. Paul talked about this last week, a manifestation of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, is given to each person for the common good. You'll see it throughout Scripture. The gifts of the Spirit are used to edify and build up the church. That is the purpose of our gifts. But Paul takes it even a step further in 24 through 26. He's saying, why should we build up the church? Well, he says we should build up the church because we should be deeply concerned about the other parts of the body. And then when we do this, it leads to unity, not division. That's the purpose. One body, many valued parts, same purpose. The goal isn't to keep the gifts to ourselves or to flaunt our own spirituality. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and loving his bride, the church. So we should have a healthy healthy self-forgetfulness and care and concern for others in our church family. My prayer is that we would embrace verse 26. Do you see what I said in verse 26? so if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If someone in your connection group is struggling or suffering, what's your knee-jerk response? Do you lean in and want to help because you care and are concerned? Or do you lean out and lean away and go, oh, that might take a lot of time? Do you use the gifts that you have to love the people around you? Do you weep when others weep? Do you rejoice when others rejoice? I'm telling you guys, this is where, if I can brag on my wife for a second, um, this is where my wife is wildly gifted. She's got this deep and profound gift of empathy. Because my wife is the deepest feeler I've ever met in my entire life. And she'll tell you that. Um, and sometimes that can be seen as a negative. Oh, you're just a deep feeler and all the emotions. And it's like that, that, That's a negative thing. And I go, I disagree. I actually think that it makes Casey a lot more like Jesus than me in a lot of ways. Do you remember when Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus? Lazarus, who was his friend, Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, And he's he's standing there with Mary and Martha. Do you remember what Jesus did when he got to the tomb of Lazarus? He wept. He wept with his friends. And I'm telling you, if you're hurting, if you're crying, and you're in our living room, my wife will cry with you. She will weep with you. If you're excited about something and something awesome just happened in your life... She's the person you're going to want to be around because she'll just, I mean, she'll grab her pom-poms. She'll do whatever. She will cheer with you. She'll be so excited. We don't own pom-poms. That would be weird. But, like, she loves it because <laughs> I remember. So we had multiple friends. We've had multiple friends who have struggled with infertility. And it actually, um, those friends that we've prayed for after a season of waiting um, have all now had uh, babies and i actually i remember like each specific moment when my wife found out that her friend had become pregnant you know what her response was she wept she wept tears of joy so happy for them my wife lives out verse 26 way better than i do i want to grow in this i think we all should when the body hurts we should hurt when the body rejoices we should rejoice we should have a healthy concern for one another it promotes strength and unity so Paul said a lot to this point. Let's finish up our uh, passage and go, well, how is Paul going to finish this? Go back to verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? And do all interpret But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. Now, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. We had a membership class this past week at Paul's house. We had about 20 people there. It was an awesome class. But we went to this passage to show them that every church is called to be a member of a local church where they can use their gifts, care for others, and be cared for by others. So it's a Paul saying in a lot of ways in verse 27. But then you get to verse 28. And Paul gives us another list. He's now done this a couple times in chapter 12. I just want to make a couple observations. One, if you're counting, this is the third time that Paul said that it's God, not man, that is assigned the gifts. But also, this list, like last week, isn't exhaustive of all the gifts that are out there. It's representative. He's he's taking a sample of gifts, and he's using it to make a point. What's the point he's making? I think, once again, Paul is correcting the Corinthians here. He's saying all gifts uh, are important and valuable, valuable, but the Corinthians thought some gifts were more significant than others. And you wonder if the Corinthians maybe downplayed certain gifts, like the apostles gifting, and elevated certain gifts, like the speaking in tongues. And what Paul is doing here, if you just look at the first and last thing on those lists, it's almost like he's flipping all that on its head. So he's saying, no, the apostles actually used their gifts in great ways to impact a lot of different people, to equip and build up the church. It was a gift that was used in great ways, and and if you compare that with, with tongues, which Paul puts at the end of the list, I think he's just showing that, yeah, these, like these gifts are important, but, but some gifts aren't as significant as you think they are, Corinthians. I think that's what this list is serving to do. But then Paul goes on and he, and he asks questions, you know, are all apostles, are all prophets, all teachers? If you go to the Greek language on this one, um, the expected answer for all those questions is no. <laughs> um, last week, we, I mean, we saw this last week, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another performing a miracle. Like there's different gifts that are given to different people. And this is a side note, but this will combat any theology that says that you have to have a certain gift to be saved. So if somebody says you need to have the gift of teaching if you're going to be saved or you need to have the gift of speaking in tongues to be saved, Paul would emphatically say not true. (laughs) It is only by faith, by grace through faith that any of us are saved. It is in faith alone and Christ alone that we are saved. And as we are saved, the Spirit gives different gifts to different people. And then Paul ends by saying we should all desire greater gifts in a better way. It might seem a little confusing, um, but when you lay it down next to chapter 13, it actually isn't that confusing. What's the better way he's talking about? He's talking about love. Now, I'm not, Josiah will teach on this in a handful of weeks, um, so I won't see all his thunder, but... But I'm telling you guys, as we talk about chapters 12 through 14, that chapter 13 right in the middle that talks about love, it is the key that unlocks everything in chapters 12 and 14. You have to see that. The Corinthians didn't see that. They had gifts, but the heart behind those gifts was very self-centered and proud. Look at this gift that I have, or I'm bummed that I don't have that gift over there. wish I had that gift. And Paul is saying, stop all of that. You are missing the point. Look to Jesus as your example. Guys, think about this. Jesus was the most gifted human being that ever walked the earth, mostly because he was fully God and fully man. And then how did Jesus, though, use his gifts? He laid down his desires, his wants, his preferences, and he self-sacrificially loved others. Jesus was always care, caring for others, always concerned about others, always serving others. The root of everything that Jesus did was love, and he went to a rugged cross to prove it. The church is called the body of Christ because it was Christ's blood that dripped from that rugged tree. And he brought us into this body, into this family, and he is showing us and telling us what it looks like to lay down our selfishness and love others, to use the gifts that God has given us. Salt Church, let us be the church that Jesus is calling us to be. And here's the beautiful thing: I think this is happening. I am watching our church do this, and the baptisms we're about to watch, I believe is proof. My guess is that every person that walks on stage this morning, all we'll the handful of this first service and, and then more the next service, my guess is that every person that walks up on the stage has been loved by somebody else in this church somebody in this Somebody, My guess is somebody else in this church used their gifts, talents, and energies to love the person that is getting in the tank to proclaim their love for Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to pray. I want to thank the Lord for that reality. And then we're going to have some people come up and share their testimonies. We're going to get some people in this tank. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are so good to us. So grateful for your love for us so grateful that you are the model, the motivation, and the example for everything that we do in life. Jesus, help us to use the gifts that you're calling us to use for your glory and your honor. We need your help. In your name we pray. Amen.